So I know a lot of people have spent a good portion of 2020 looking at cute animal photos, me included. Sometimes we just need that feel-good addition to our day. Cats and dogs are kind of the go-to on that front. But right now, my cute and cuddly animal feeds are filled with another creature. One that lives in the wilds of our oceans and have captured the hearts of conservationists for a hundred years. Sea otters. Hi, I'm Kate Harubi, and this is Go Forth in Science podcast, where we combine adventure and science into a tale that will hopefully make the next time you step outside even better. I've seen a sea otter in the wild only once in my life. I was sailing up in British Columbia. It was dead calm, so really we were motoring. And I was teaching a lesson about our surrounding landscape to the teenagers on board. All of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, there was an otter floating past our boat. It was on its back and seemed as shocked to see us as we were to see it. It raised its hands in the air and then dove into the sea. It lasted maybe three seconds, but I think the adrenaline from that sighting kept me excited for the next three days. Today's guest has much more experience with sea otters in the wild than I do. In the 70s, she completed a master's degree working toward their protection and spent many years involved in the advocacy group Friends of the Sea Otter, helping with their lobbying efforts and sitting on their board. She's dedicated her time to ocean conservation and currently runs her own science communication organization on the East Coast. Today, we have Pam Ferris Olson, who is an amazing artist and science communicator and has also done a lot of research with an animal that I think a lot of us have cute and cuddly vibes for. So Pam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I have lots of degrees. First couple of them are biologic related and the last one was in leadership and change. I love the ocean. I love sea critters. I'm always interested to get out on the water and see what I can see. So where were you studying otters and what about them were you studying? I studied California sea otters in the Monterey Bay area. In the United States or in North America, there are only two places that you can see sea otters. You can either see them along the California coast or you have to go to Alaska and a little bit into Canada. So there's the northern sea otter, the one in Alaska, and they tend to eat fish and uh, have been known to come out on land. The California sea otter that I study is a different subspecies and they tend to eat abalone and sea urchins and they hang out in the kelp and they wrap themselves in the kelp so they don't float away in addition to which a lot of the species that they eat are in that area with the seaweed. But despite their cute existence living along our coastlines they faced a significant challenge over the last few centuries. Sea otters are very desirable creatures to those who want fur. And in the 18th and 19th century, they were hunted almost to extinction because the density of their fur is something like 100,000 hairs per centimeter. I mean, it's, it's wild. For some comparison here, humans have about 100,000 hairs on their whole head. So imagine putting your hair in a ponytail 
that bunch of hair is what otters have in just one tiny centimeter on their body. Because of the thickness of their fur, it's great for warmth and waterproofing, for humans as well as for the otters themselves. In the late 1700s, a strong trade route developed between the west coast of North America and Asia and continued until there just weren't any otters left. And then back in 1914, a population of 50 otters were found. And so there was a movement to protect the otters. And the sea otter in 1972 was listed under the Marine Mammal Protection Act and the Endangered Species Act. Anybody who's ever gone to Monterey sees two things. One is California sea lions, because they're all over the, the jetty there and they hop into boats, whether you're in the boat or not. And sea otters, and they really are engaging critters. They are easy to get close to. They swim on their back. When they eat their food, they dig into this little pouch under their, their arm and put it on their chest. And you can hear them breaking shells of crabs and things. Um, and then they got these very strong teeth and you can hear them crunching. And so they're, they're endearing and they've got these little bewhiskered faces. And so I guess when I started my first master's degree, I was interested in conservation and in natural history. At that time, what was known about sea otters were that they lived along the coast in the kelp beds. They were easy to observe. And it was known that the population was about, oh, somewhere about 1,200. And that was well below historic records. So I got involved because they're cute little critters. They were close to where I lived because I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area because the people who were foremost in uh, trying to bring their populations back up to historic or at least non-endangered levels were there and they would have me help out. So yeah, that's my story. So you mentioned that otter populations were threatened because of hunting. Is there anything that's currently sort of restricting their numbers from bouncing back to the fullest extent that they were prior to hunting? Okay, so there's been no hunting of sea otters legal since 1972. The issues are pollution. So things as odd as kitty litter People should not be flushing their kitty litter down the drain or just dumping it on the land. And why do you say that? Because it had organisms in it that could cause the otters to get infections. But then you have fertilizer from the farms that come, and then you get toxic algal blooms. So there are all kinds of pollution. And then there are the issues of the otter population was limited in the boundaries that they seem to be able to expand to. And if you go to my website, and you said I could be shameless here. Oh, yes, you could totally be shameless. <laughs> so if you go to womenmindthewater.com, you can see my art. And one of the images is of a California sea otter, and it's sitting in a bathtub. But above its head is a piece of California coastline with yellow on it. And the yellow actually represents the area to which the otter population is limited. 
because in the 70s and 80s, shellfisher people didn't want the otters moving south into the Los Angeles area where they were fishing for things like lobster. So they wanted what was called a no otter zone. So they wanted to basically naturally, I air quote, naturally pan the otters in. So they couldn't expand anymore. Well, of course, any organism that you pen into a certain area can only, the population can only grow so far, there's no place to expand. In addition to the fact that the otters are limited in their expansion by this no otter zone, it's a problem because otters, as I said, have this really dense fur. And unlike other marine mammals, they don't survive by having a thick layer of blubber. They survive because of the insulation qualities of their fur. And they actually spend a good part of the day grooming themselves and actually blowing air into their fur. And if that gets oiled, they're dead. And if they don't die immediately, they'll die from the trauma of being cleaned. So two problems for the otter in terms of oil, one of which is they live in an area where if there aren't oil rigs out offshore, there are oil tankers going back and forth. So the chance of an oil spill is very high. So you've got them in this pen. They can't, their populations can't increase because their numbers are geographically limited. And their pen is in an area where somebody's going to come and dump something that's going to kill them. There's a lot of things besides hunting that are affecting their population right now and can seriously hurt them. Fairly recently, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service got rid of the no otter zone. Hey, but, that's yeah, that was that took a long time. The No Otter Zone was started in 1987 and continued until 2012, when a court case was won to cancel the zone. Courts continued to see cases supporting the zone for the next six years, but in the end, all the rulings supported the otters, and they now have free range of the California coast. Right now, amazingly, the population is up to 3,000 from the original in 1914-50, Mm-hmm. to the 1200 that I knew of in the mid 20th century to this time. But there's always this threat of oil spills and things like plastic pollution are becoming more and more of a problem. And the availability of some of their food can be at risk. So other things besides hunting are impacting the sea otter. Do you have any idea what original otter populations were before hunting was really a thing? The otters historically are known to have been all over San Francisco Bay, that they lived in estuaries, and that their numbers were upwards of 10,000. About 300,000 sea otters used to live all the way along the Pacific coast from Baja, California to Japan. And in just 30 years, around 1800, 150,000 sea otter pelts made their way from this habitat to Asian markets. Based on ship records, it's estimated that 80% of California sea otters were taken in these first couple decades of the fur trade. By the end of the otter trade, there were only 2,000 otters left across the whole range. As Pam said, the current population in California is around 3,000. In the northern Pacific, things are doing a little better, though, with population numbers back over 100,000. In Mm -hmm. fact, I think 3,000 is amazing. Yeah. I remember when it was only 1,200. 
whether they're in the estuaries or in the near shore environment, what part do you see otters play in their ecosystems? The otter has long been known in the kelp bed area to be what they call a keystone species. What's really important about the kelp beds is that it serves as a nursery for fish. And if there were no otters, there would be probably no nearshore kelp beds because urchins, in areas where there are no otters, urchins overgrow and they overeat kelp. So otters are eating species that predate on kelp. It seems that in the estuaries, they have eelgrass and crabs eat eelgrass, but otters eat crabs. So they're part of the food web, eating what destroys what everything else lives on. So how are you currently getting people involved in ocean conservation? Well, what I decided to do was use my terminal degree, which is in leadership and change. And um, I was interested in storytelling. So I started Women Mind the Water. And the first project I did was I invited people to use their phones or whatever digital way they would tell their stories of how they interact with water and how they connect it. And I was hoping to build a community of people who have a connection to water and through that build a community that would take action. And the stories have been shared with and collected by the Smithsonian Institute's uh, Museum on Main Street. In addition to that, I do a podcast, and Kate is episode five. So get on over to my website and hear Kate talk about what she does. (laughs) The digital stories, which I'd love people to get involved with, only had a certain audience The art that I'm doing probably only has a certain audience, the podcast. And I'm just hoping that as I expand, the ripple that I am making gets bigger and just keep building our ripple to we make a difference. What has been your favorite ocean adventure? Okay, that is the toughest question you asked me. (laughs) And, And I think it's like what I've heard many people say, probably the last one, because Often the first one challenges us to do the next one and the next one. I had the fortune two or three years ago to go to Greenland in October and I went kayaking. Uh, So I have pictures of me with snow on my knit hat and you can see the icebergs nearby and putting my paddle in water that was turning into crystal was just amazing. To see these awesome images that Pam is talking about, you can check out my Instagram at GoForthInScience. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on this podcast. It was wonderful to hear about otters from you. And do you want to plug your social media? Thank you first for having me on. It's been fun and I'm glad to have a chance to reconnect with otters. My site is womenmindthewater.com where you'll find my art and my podcast my digital stories, and all kinds of fun things. And I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, all those sites. So join us. Links to Pam, as well as all my other podcast guests, can be found on my website at goforthinscience.com slash podcast. And now for the episode recap. Woo! 
Sea otters once lived up and down the west coast of North America. Munching on urchins, crabs, and fish, they would hang out in kelp beds or in estuaries. They helped these ecosystems thrive by eating the animals that ate the kelp. Without otters, urchin populations can get out of control, and then, whoops, there goes the kelp bed. Starting around 1800, fur traders came over to the coast and killed otters for their pelts, which have the densest fur of any animal. In just a few decades, the otter populations were pretty much gone. But there's hope! In 1914, 50 otters were found in California, and after conservation efforts spanning the next 100 years, there are now 3,000 of them. And up in the North Pacific, there's over 100,000. This is still only a fraction of their original population estimates, though, and a big part of that is they're only living in certain sections of their original range. We also have to factor in pollution to their current problems, both from less obvious sources like pet litter and the big sources like oil spills. We still have a ways to go in regards to fixing our impacts on sea otters, but as a species that was pretty much written off in the early 1900s, it's really exciting to see how far they've come. So next time you're out on the west coast of North America, keep your eyes peeled for sea otters. Or, if you don't frequent these parts, but still want to see cute otters, a bunch of aquariums have otter live streams. And I will admit that probably too much of my 2020 has been spent watching this. Scientific papers used in this episode are Randall Davis's 2019 paper, Future Direction in Sea Otter Research and Management, Brent Hughes's 2019 paper, Species Recovery and Recolonization of Past Habitats, and Terry Jones's 2011 book chapter, Toward a Prehistory of the Southern Sea Otter. If you like this podcast, please like, rate, and follow. The more interaction from you folks I get on the episodes, the easier it is for other people to find this podcast. And if you're in a giving mood this holiday season, you can also find me on patreon.com slash goforthandscience. As always, thanks for listening, and happy holidays.